Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. Are you getting married and need help transporting your guests to and from your wedding? Or maybe you're planning a birthday party or a bachelor or bachelorette party for your best friend. Or are you a team leader or a small business owner and planning a fun team building experience for your employees? Or maybe you're in sales and want to show your clients a good time during their stay in Vermont. Well, Best in Vermont Tours and Charters provides worry-free transportation services in their 14-seater passenger tour bus. With affordable rates, a comfortable ride, and your own professional chauffeur, Best in Vermont will transport you and your guests to your destinations and also guarantee a safe ride back home. Best in Vermont also features the Vermont Brew Hop, a customized craft brewery tour that visits the best breweries in our area. You will get first-hand experience of why there is so much hype around Vermont's microbrews. So please check them out at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. Or on Facebook at Best in VT Tours and Charters. Thanks, and now on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. I was in my teens when I first started to question whether my education was actually going to help me in the future. As I've grown up and looked deeper into the issue, I've realized that one of the main missing ingredients from my school experience was a successful merging between education and psychology. On the surface, we were learning good things, but the problem was that we weren't learning it in a way that made sense for my human brain. This is where nature-based education comes in. Nature is filled with opportunities to nurture both the scientist and the artist inside each person. My guest today is Angela Gibbons, the founder and director of Earthwalk. Angela is someone who became passionately curious about how one could use nature-based education like observation training and animal tracking, wilderness first aid, and a general appreciation of the outdoors to inspire and empower children, families, and communities to reconnect with and care for one another and the earth through long-term nature mentoring. Angela, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast. Well, thank you, Tina. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, Angela, I I have to confess that uh, as a town mouse, this subject matter of uh, nature is a little bit out of my league. So um, I'm hoping that at the end of this, I will have uh, learned a great deal and be more comfortable with the great outdoors. Wonderful. I'd be happy to invite you out into the woods someday. So talk to me a little bit about your childhood and uh, what your family was like and uh, what some of your earliest memories were. Yes, well, it's uh, directly connected to nature. Um, I love the title of your Standing on the Shoulders of Giants uh, because I'd love to include nature, the natural world, as, as the biggest giant in my life, um, as the greatest teacher. And at a very, very young age, I headed to the woods. I was not allowed to watch television Um and uh, my friends were watching TV, and, um, well, I'm 55, so it was a long time ago uh, that I was growing up, uh, so computers weren't around yet, and I, you know, the screen, I wasn't distracted, so I would just head out into the woods to play, 
I had I had four siblings, and so all five of us would be on the couch. We'd try to sneak some cartoons in on a Saturday morning, and she'd literally come in and turn off the TV and said, "Go play outside." And I think the rest is history in many ways because I I never really came in. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had a tree fort and up in a white pine tree um, in my front yard. And I had a best friend, Mariana, who in my early childhood, we would just explore all day long and, you know, get in around dark. Well, certainly we, we did go to school, uh, but as soon as, you know, we'd get, get off the bus, uh, we'd just head into the woods and for some adventures and it was really self-exploratory, so I was not uh, officially mentored in what plants are edible and what these tracks are. I was just had the most amazing, I, I feel really privileged to have that opportunity to um, feel completely safe and at home in the natural world at a very, very young age. And uh, that's sort of the root of everything I've done since, I think. Wow. So I'm very thankful to my mother, for one, who um, really, I sort of joke that she forced me to play outside, um, but I really do think it is up to the parents to encourage. Um, it was more encouraging. And she took us on camping trips. Um, you know, my parents were divorced at a, a, I was a young you know, I was about five, and so my mom was actually uh, pretty courageous to take us on family camping trips and things like that. Wow, that's such a great story. Um, I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but uh, I too don't remember as a child ever spending more than just meal times and bedtimes inside the house. Uh, you know, as long you know, as long as we were back home before the street lights came on, uh, I don't really think my parents knew where we were, and uh, we would mm -hmm. spend hours, like you said, in the woods. Uh, we had a stream that ran uh, kind of behind our neighborhood, um, and I mean, I went back there and to check it out as an adult, and I think it's probably no more than maybe five feet across, and yet for us mm -hmm. that was sort of uh, a river, you know, <laughs> and I don't know whether it's just uh, nostalgic on my part and maybe on your part that kids don't spend time outside and thinking that maybe we had, you know, the better time by having access to the outdoors. Absolutely. Um, I, I think in the time that I grew up and just what the encouragement was around there, we just didn't have the distractions um, and I still, I guess, want to share that I, you know, don't have Facebook or I don't have any kind of social media. And I'm not sort of, you know, saying that, uh, I, I, I think it was a conscious decision, absolutely, but I'm, um, I think it works for people. And, um, I do feel there is, uh, a connection with the disconnect with, uh, you know, just, modern technology, of which I'm really not that familiar. Um, you know, I do run a business, uh, a nonprofit education organization, and, and certainly find my way around now. But when I really think back at when I was growing up, um, I, I hope it is more than nostalgic. I appreciate you, you mentioning it, and I think many people my age or older or younger um, grew up in a time where it was uh, very natural to play outside. And um, we just had paths through the woods that we knew. Um, I, there really was no fear um, around, even in the dark, uh, just being outside and being up in my tree fort. I, I just felt like I was on top of the world. It was my own little space. I, I really call sort of the movement that I'm involved in is really we, we care for who we love. Um, it's very, very simple. And so my my mission and vision in life is to connect children to the natural world and have them really love this planet as much as or more than I do. And that did start in childhood for me. You mentioned uh, the fear factor. Do you think that it's because that there is this 24-7 
media that every couple of minutes you're being told about all the bad things that are happening in the world. You have more access to that information that makes people fearful to send their kids outside. Or is it because, you know, places are just getting built up and there's uh, less outdoor space for kids to, to be able to play? Yeah, I think all of the above. Um, and when I really think of, you know, prior to even 200 years ago, sort of the one-room schoolhouse where kids went to school, and I think that was really sort of the beginning of the end in many ways because um, they were looking to get jobs off the farm, um, off kind of living close to the earth, or if it was in a um, you know a small village, it was away from the family, away from the land in many ways. Um, so there's just the sort of physical difference of um, the, the space. Certainly there's more buildings and in cities sort of people look at me and say, well, how can I connect to nature? But there's always always a park and always, you know, some birds that, that find their way to cities. Um, you know, however, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not just rural Vermont. I think um, my family says, well, gosh, you know, of course kids are connecting to nature in Vermont and, and it's not true. Um, you know, it is it is the media and it is the fear factor. Um, you know, it, it it can be fearful. I mean, I'm not saying you know Vermont we're we're quite lucky. Um, you know, uh, but I think if we're sort of on um, a lot of the social media and certainly what's happening politically and globally, it can be pretty scary things going on, and so. Um, you know, to be alone in nature is not everybody's thing. It's because, it, you know, they weren't raised that way. So again, I, I do think it's up to us adults to guide the young people. And again, it's a very simple, um, sort of solution in the sense of encouraging that time outside. And if you can take the time and sort of fight with TV, social media, what's going on in sort of the daily world today. So it's 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 really about finding that space to fall in love because it doesn't happen in a hurried lunch break every once in a while or a once a year field trip um, at school. Uh, we teach kids at a very young age whether they're deeply connected to nature or they're very separate and our entire educational system is separate. It's quite fascinating to think about how our ancestors experience nature versus how we're experiencing it. And even when I'm talking about ancestors, I'm not even talking about a thousand years ago. I'm probably even thinking 200 years ago. You know, it's uh, it's very or even different. your grandparents. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's really not in the, the very far past. I feel like I'm a little bit uh, of the past in some ways sometimes because. I feel very confident in my world um, because the nature connection is who I am and it's, it's everywhere and I can, I really feel a part of this earth. And, and what's sort of beautiful is just sharing that with, with children and, you know, groups of people to where it's this common kind of foundation of strength. Um, that I think, I mean, I really feel we, we take everywhere we go. Um, it's not uh, just something we do really part-time, I think. Let's talk actually about uh, Earthwalk, the organization. So can you talk to me about how it started and what its mission is? Sure. Earthwalk Vermont is a nonprofit education organization. Uh, in a simple form, it's a nature school. And I sometimes call it a nature mentoring school because I really love the idea of the nature-human connection, particularly. Um, because, of course, there's straight-up nature. It's everywhere. And I really look at mentoring as that bridge, uh, sort of the guiding to connect all with nature. So we do run children's programs uh, all year round. We have a once-a-week school uh, completely out in the forest and fields here in Plainfield on the campus of, of Goddard College. And then we have summer camps that are, uh, people are registering for. We offer a lot of 
day camps. And then we have uh, an after-school program, and we have a mentor and training program for teenagers, an apprenticeship, and uh, some adult uh, courses that I'm beginning to develop through Earthwalk and my graduate studies. So it's a multi-age opportunity. I founded Earthwalk in 2005. And again, many, many giants I'm standing on, um, coming back to that theme. I like that. <laughs> right, I, I love that theme. And it, you know, it really caught my attention because I'm, I'm not alone. I, I feel, uh, really humbled by who's come before me. I mean, if we think of the people who've been, uh, preserving the land and really, I mean, nature-based education, I'm not, you know, the first to try it. Um, there's been many, many people who, you know, I, I really have been appreciating elders, um, you know, Joanna Macy and uh, John Young, who is uh, sort of at the root of some of the nature mentoring that we're doing here at Earthwalk with the Wilderness Awareness School. Sort of where to begin, but Coyote's Guide to Connecting to Nature is a, a wonderful thick book um, that came out, I think, in 2010. So Earthwalk started before the book. However, um, it is what we do um, kind of on every page, and we're listed in the back as an affiliate school. But there's about, at this stage, there's about 300 schools that are very similar to Earthwalk. And it is really what we were talking about earlier about sort of our grandparents and sort of our indigenous roots are connected to nature. It's, there's no question. Um, you know, we look at look at our past, um, and people lived this way. What we're doing at Earthwalk is it seems and is quite unique to spend a full day learning outdoors. Um, however, that was the way people lived, and they were connected with their families, their elders, their uncles and aunts, and so the people in their community they were deeply connected with, and also to the natural world. Um, they knew where the medicines grew. They knew what food to harvest and when. And when they were cold, they knew how to make a fire and um, make a shelter. And those skills, uh, we may say they're sort of less needed and it's something of the past. Um, I think they're very, very pertinent um, in terms of kind of that self-confidence and that resilience of not being afraid and that courage to uh, give as well. It's, it's a reciprocal relationship with the natural world. It's, um, I want to be a really good caregiver of this planet that's really precious. And so um, Earthwalk was really founded on those principles, nature really has, has things figured out and there's just this intricate web of uh, connection and the predators and the woods and sort of prey and all the sort of balance in the ecosystem is, is something so profound that humans really don't quite get it and I just feel like there's so much to learn and ground ourselves in. So my idea is founded on about 30 years in the field with children and teens um, and, of course, growing up connected to nature. So it's kind of a long uh, history for me. Over half my life, um, I've been really out with children connected to nature. Where does your story start when you realize that you were going to be doing this? Yeah, because it's an interesting turn for me, again, about... 30 years ago almost, I went to UVM, University of Vermont, and I set off kind of traveling west and really, again, connecting to nature, living in these beautiful towns and, and working to just get by as an early 20s person. <laughs> really, a lot of my friends were going into the cities and getting real jobs, and I um, chose a different <laughs> path. And I eventually, I think it was around 25, worked for the 
Public Interest Research Group, which is a conservation-minded, social justice kind of minded uh, organization that works for the environment. Um, and it's again, it's educating adults and it's kind of knocking on doors or calling and it's really about campaigning for a cleaner environment. And for me, I, I was healing from some knee surgery, so it seemed really important that I could do something that was kind of um, sedentary. So I became quite good at it um, for some reason. And they moved me to Boulder, Colorado, which is where I wanted to live, out of Boston at the time. Uh, long and short of it, I I really was disoriented talking to adults, and I, I got very discouraged, and it felt very cerebral. And a friend was watching this. I had a, several housemates, and they said, you know, you should be working with children. And they kept sort of pushing that idea, you know, and they thought of a place in California. Um, that they had friends who, that's what they did for a living. It was a residential outdoor education center um, called San Mateo Outdoor Ed near Santa Cruz. And believe it or not, um, I ended up there. And I was a naturalist for two years back in 1987. And a group of inner city kids from like Oakland or South San Francisco would come out to the Redwood Forest for a week as part of their fifth grade. Uh, All fifth graders in the state of California would have a week of outdoor education. Oh, wow, that's cool. It actually was. It is cool. I know it was a short amount of time in so many ways, but I think it was pretty life-changing. And so I got to be on the end of um, showing them around the Redwoods. We take them down to the tide pools and the ocean on the coast. And uh, it changed my life. I, I kind of knew it in the first, really the first day, uh, when 200 kids showed up on buses. And we were their guides. Most of the time we were you know, barefoot with a guitar around our necks and playing music and inspiring these city kids to sit on the earth. I mean, a lot of them um, didn't want to get their clothes dirty and... By Friday, they they were covered in mud, or just um, it it was a, a beautiful experience. And and from there, I um, I've led kayak trips, I've uh, led backpacking trips, and been really uh, connecting again children and teen teenagers um, in in some form um, since that time. And then I founded an organization in, let's see, 1995, sort of jumping ahead, um, right in Williamstown, Vermont, at a, a summer camp that's been around for a long time. It's called Lotus Lake. And I started the school year program there in 1993. And I worked there for 10 years and really growing an organization. And it's a place where kids, school kids come out for field trips. And so I would work with about 3,000 children and teachers each year. It was very powerful to have a group of, say, eighth graders for the day and have them connecting to nature. It was a fully outdoor program and learn how to work together, learn how to care for one another. What really stood out to me in those 10 years that was um, different or maybe what I was just understanding in my early years was the connection between human and human was worth paying attention to and healing. Uh, I think just that voices are heard, that children are honored for who they are. I I had little kindergartners coming out and learning tracking um, in the wintertime or uh, again, mentioning eighth graders or fifth graders for like a two-day field trip. And it was really around group dynamics um, because you can't just kind of go connect with nature. You know, we're, we're geared towards authority and doing kind of what we're told. I mean, there's some amazing teachers out there. Some still, uh, you know, are telling kids what they need to learn, how to learn it, what subject to learn. And uh, I just found it so transformative to really give kids their voices 
and have them solve problems together and work together. And then the nature connection was just very strong and powerful. But it really goes hand in hand with the human connection of how we care for one another and how we are civil and kind. They, they go together simultaneously and reciprocally with the earth. So it's, it's a, a little bit of a dance to be a peaceful adult in their lives, I think, and love what I do and um, really try to be a little bit of the background. That's what mentoring is about. Um, so really asking the questions and getting kids, and I did work with teachers as well, but getting people to really discover their own magic inside. What made you decide to start your own version of this and establish Earthwalk? For me, personally, it's not from a place of, oh, you know, I'm an expert. I'm going to do this. It's like, wow, you know, uh, I'm going to take this step. It's, it's almost like I didn't have a choice. Um, I felt really called to do this. And starting Lotus Lake Discovery Center, I wrote up a proposal, and it was my dream. And I gave it to a seven-generation family, and I sat with them, and I created a job there. So that's how I got that one. Um, and with Earthwalk, I was in between, so I had finished Lotus Lake, and I really was looking for an experience where I could really live in my own community and see these children grow up versus getting them on a school bus and saying goodbye to them and hoping for the best. <laughs> and, right, right. Uh, so, yeah, it was really, um, I mean, I had met some very powerful people, some other giants in the field. I had mentioned John Young, and he um, is kind of at the heart of what we are doing with nature mentoring and creating a holistic learning model that essentially based on the, like an indigenous village, like how would we learn and live together? What songs would we sing? What stories would we share? Would we have elders there? Would there be different generations? Uh, it's a really uh, beautiful model because it's not sort of something that's separate from who we are. So that didn't give you a lot of answers on how I started it. I, I do have to, um, you know, I run a business, and that's the hardest part sometimes. So I certainly had the vision, and I went, to, it used to be called um, Central Vermont Community Action Council, it's now Capstone, but they had a micro-business development program that was free to people that wanted to start their own business, and I spent time there, and I actually, interestingly enough, this was 13 years ago now, I was learning how to make brochures and how to look at a business and look at spreadsheets and how many kids would go the first year and start camp and what would the numbers be, what would they pay, and how we could build in scholarships to those that couldn't afford coming to Earthwalk. And um, just kind of put one foot in front of the other and, and a very, very supportive community. Um, so I, I, I gathered a group of people I called a council, and um, most of them were just friends I knew and elders that, I think really supported my work and, you know, really loved the vision. Now it's really the board of directors uh, of Earthwalk and, of course, it's had many uh, transformations since that time. But it just, I think I started with five kids and uh, one other mentor right here behind Goddard College and we just tried it out with some friends' kids, quite honestly. It, it was about 10 kids eventually, I mean, in the next week who tried another one. Um, and you just slowly say, well, this could this could really work. Wow. Um, How many kids do you have now? We have uh, about 100 every week. Wow. And that is uh, roughly um, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, has 20 to 24 kids each day. So, say, for example, um, the Wednesday Village School comes out every Wednesday. I think it's 36 weeks. Um, it's the same group of kids on this land. 
And then we have a Thursday village school and a Friday village school. So that's about 70, 75 kids or so. And then we have an after-school program that has the rest to be, to be about 100 almost. Um, How inspiring is that? That's a really, really cool. And our summer camp has like a couple hundred kids. Wow. It's incredible. I mean, you obviously have a serious environmental and education mission, but um, I wonder if you've had to sort of adjust and learn some hard truths about running a business versus the conflict that it might create with your nature and conservation mentoring mission. That is the million-dollar question. (laughs) Um, Now, that's a, a very... That's a really profound question for me, which I still ask each day of, um, you know, the the business, uh, and to be a good business, to be, you know, not only environmentally kind of aware, but, you know, issues of social justice or in terms of just how we treat our employees, what actions are we doing in the world, Mm. who are we, um, sort of in the bigger picture, you know. Uh, we can't be just this little silo of the school. You know, how do we create partnerships? So um, those are where I feel more called, you know, just where I want to be a really grounding place for people to work. So we have um, approximately eight of us for full-time which is really wonderful. So there are some educators that are out in the field, and this is their profession. And I really love that. You know, I can say that 13 years later. It wasn't always that way, um, <laughs> where you find full-time work at Earthwalk. Um, yeah, running the business more in terms of building the board of directors and really, uh, you know, following our bylaws, you know, the financials, creating a budget, fundraising for the mission, to make Earthwalk as accessible as possible, we raise you know forty or fifty thousand dollars a year to make it available to others, and I feel really proud of that. And at the same time, it needs to be more. And um, you know, there's more of a demand. We don't say no to people. Uh, we really make it work. I mean, we we do of course have a process, but I think if a child wants to come to Earthwalk, um, I really think they can. And then I've been hiring really good people who manage the business and work with me. So I like to think of a kind of more of a leadership team. We have some fantastic staff and, you know, we sit in circles and make decisions. I have been alone in a lot of levels um, since starting. I mean, my title is executive director. I'm not crazy about that title particularly. (laughs) It's my philosophy. (laughs) just doesn't even fit. However, I I feel responsible, and I want to help raise money, and because I see the importance and the critical need for something like this, and so I've kind of an accidental fundraiser, I think I'm called, because <laughs> I just kind of learned on the job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so into kind of how uh, Earthwalk operates, what are some of the activities that kids are doing? We have. A very strong structure that's based on kind of a seasonal and holistic wheel. Uh, we have sort of different directions. So there's just, for example, there's the cardinal directions as we look at a map. Um, and if a staff member is is on the north, that that means something in the east and the south and the west. And it's um, it's how we run our uh, we call it kind of the roll wheel, and so by explaining a little bit about what that is, there's certain energies and responsibilities with each of those that will share a little bit about what we're about. So in the north is, is stewardship, and that's really the overall vision of Earthwalk, that these children are learning how to be good stewards of the land and their communities, you know, really upright civically responsible and able to share and serve the community as well as take care of the earth. You know, on a translatable role uh, for a staff member, it's really looking at the big picture of the day at Earthwalk. Um, one who's on the north is meeting with families 
and they're for the safety of the children who has a hat or who needs a water bottle and just kind of like taking care of ourselves. Um, we have the three cares, take care of yourself, take care of others, and take care of the earth. That's our only kind of rules at Earthwalk. And then the east is about uh, sensory awareness, inspiration. Kind of the east is where the sun rises, really getting them ready to learn. You know, you're just like, that's that's your job <laughs> um, in the in the circles as the kids gather together, and really, it's like a it's like an energy of really grand. You lead the games in the morning, and kids want to come uh, nine o'clock in the morning. They play games, and um, they're just running around, most of them. And then those ones that want to be a little bit quieter or learn a skill, uh, the South is really, you know, the one who makes fire and shares the skills. And it's very seasonal and specific. So today we're going to learn very different things than we would um, in May. Uh, you know, given what's what's out there right now. Uh, so it is fire building. Actually, two weeks ago, it was maple sugaring, so, um, but we've had this funny weather. And uh, so the, the role of the South is really teaching the skills needed and sort of the go-to person to, again, bring in the fire in the morning and ask for help from the kids. We bring in fire by friction, and so that's with a bow drill. We bring in fire the old way for a number of reasons wow. um, around... And again, it's, it's, um, you know, if you're in the modern world and, you know, you're in the middle of the city, you know, when is that going to come in handy? Uh, I, I think it's so much deeper and more profound than that. Um, you know what kind of wood you're holding and you have that, again, that self-confidence. It's magic making fire with sticks. It's kind of a core skill that we offer. Um, and, uh, we have a nature museum. And, you know, learning to build a shelter and, again, knowing the medicines that grow in the forest and what time we harvest and that kind of thing. Rain patterning of the kids watching this over and over because it happens every day. So there's a lot of outdoor skills that are needed to be a nature mentor, so our staff, as well as for the children as they grow up and learn about their connection. So that's the south rule. So we have um, north is stewardship, east is uh, nature and nature connection, and the south is outdoor living skills. And then the west is the ecology of the community and really bringing in, call it maybe ceremony, songs, and uh, they're kind of like the MC for the day because they're sharing stories, leading songs. Um, it's the community. Um, as I mentioned, it's sort of when we're out with a small group of kids or we're not in the big circle, we, we have all of these roles because that's really holds together our mission. What exactly is it that the kids do when they get to camp? Kids really come with different energy and... So we have games going on where if they just want to run full speed and play some nature games, they can do that. If they want to quietly sit by a, a fire that's being made um, and learning how to make fire without matches, they can go work on that. Or there's a nature museum where we put um, you know, skulls and feathers and various uh, maybe seeds. They try to sort of guess and ask questions and look at guidebooks. So that's when they first get there. And then we beat the drum and gather everybody with a song and in a big circle and ask them what nature stories they have. And then they, they line up uh, at the edge of the forest in a single line. And we're completely silent if all goes well uh, with that many kids. But the idea really is that we take a moment to whisper something in their ears, uh, something maybe to listen for or smell uh, or just kind of open up their senses. And they know to fox walk in the forest, which is just gentle feet. Uh, we space the kids out a little bit in between. So they 
have a chance to really be very quiet and kind of enter the home of all the animals and other uh, creatures that live there and be amongst the trees. And we walk about maybe 10 minutes out to what, where we call Hawthorne Meadow. And they gather in another circle where they're sitting on the earth and we give gratitude. We share thanks. Kids all share what they're thankful for. And, and then they, they go to their camp group and really learn kind of sense of place. So we have a, a, a couple of different groups depending on the season. And then they go and really get to know one place on the land very well. They do sensory awareness activities, maybe do some carving, um, which is, you know, learning how to use a knife safely and make a spoon or a different craft and um, do some activities where they're really quiet and really learning about their surroundings. The kids have a sit spot every week, which is uh, another learning habit that's really wonderful where they sit in a quiet place, um, the same place every day, and they get to know one place even better. That's their very own. And that's a beautiful thing when you have multiple uh, children out in the forest and sitting quietly in their special sit spot. Um, so we have kids out there today. Uh, maybe their sit spot was a little shorter on a, on a kind of cold, wintry day. Uh, but this does happen year-round. Some kids really love it. And other kids, it's, it's quite hard to sit still, as you could imagine. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a very important practice at Earthwalk um, to really give that time to the land and and really uh, ground yourself. Um, and and then they divide into different groups where uh, it's what their interests are, and we offer workshops. Um, and again, depending on the season, you know, like if it's in the middle of winter, it could be snow shelter building, tracking, or maybe fireside crafts. And they get to sort of go where they're called and they sign up for these workshops for maybe three weeks in a row. And all these activities are happening outdoors. They're all outdoors. <laughs> we don't go inside. So that's why the games um, and the fireside crafts and the ways to bring in fire. Um, so on really cold, wet days, because it's so important to keep warm and dry. And um, in the summer, it's it's so leisurely, and they most kids uh, don't wear shoes. And so after workshops, we gather again for a circle, and that closes the day. But we're outside for for six hours every week with a group of children. It's very special. So, what would you say to somebody who would ask, "I want to be a doctor or an engineer or?" fireman or something, how does these skills help me in the 21st century? All those things you mentioned, which are needed in the world, um, and it is the 21st century, um, you know, what are these nature skills going to do for you? Um, they're going to do great things for you, um, for us, in terms of that community connection and how we serve others and are there for each other and learning how to take care of ourselves. I think of that as like a, a three-pronged kind of approach in many ways. It's just like, you know, am I taking care of myself? Am I passionately alive and excited about who I am? And I, I dressed appropriately and got enough nourishment. Um, then I can really uh, take care of others and be there for other people and learn how to share and some of those basic things. And then the earth is absolutely prominent, whereas most training doesn't involve nature, and that makes me sad. So I, um, you know, really love the sort of training that happens here with adults, because that that came to mind too, as we do have an adult sort of professional and personal sort of development program here, where you can learn to be a nature mentor, and. That is a field which I want to grow. Um, again, everywhere has children. 
This could be in every neighborhood, um, everywhere in the world. Again, there's 300 schools in the world practicing very similar things to what we're doing. And again, it's not new, brand new. It's quite old in many ways. Um, but a different childhood um, seems really important, and it does take adults who are guiding them. Kids coming through our program are now teenagers, some in their young 20s, and I feel really proud of who they are because they'll look you in the eyes, they'll shake your hand, they're strong, they're humble, they love children. Um, they they work at our summer camps now, <laughs> some of them. They start started as a six-year-old. There's a few that are just, oh my gosh, I have such hope for the world. I, I kind of think of it as insurance for all of us. Um, you know, growing up in a program like this or just growing up... Um, yeah, I think it's much more about um, competence and courage and fearlessness and helpfulness. You know, how can I help my world um, could be the question. It's not sort of like, oh, I'm going to go out into the woods by myself and build a little fire and make a shelter and live out there. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll do that for a little while. Uh, but the real idea behind Earth Block is that we're um, helping to kind of raise uh, the next generation that's needed for real critical change in this world. So what are some of the strategies that uh, parents can can use to get their kids more plugged in with nature? <laughs> more plugged in? <laughs> well, maybe they can unplug. Maybe, yeah, less plugged um, in. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I, I speak very humbly in this department because I'm not a parent. Um, um, we've had a lot of parents come to our through workshops and courses and vicariously in many ways, but also on a on a practical level, learning kind of what the kids bring home. Really, I guess learning from my own parents, um, specifically my mom. I think of my mother as um, you know someone who really uh, allowing the space to be who I am and really follow my passions and also be, you know, create a childhood of play and connection and space. It just feels like, you know, our world is moving so fast and nature is the best place to be present and to really learn to be in the moment. And it's kind of what the world needs more than anything right now is to be here now. So... I think it's creating spaces and encouragement. If you can go camping or create opportunities to have space so they can really fall deeply in love with the earth. That's, that's where sort of the ticket is. Uh, cause I think with that, um, we can be very courageous and, and, and make changes. Um, but I think without that and being really, really disconnected, it, it, it seems very hard to not get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, especially recently. It's just like, whoa. Kids need adults that are, like, excited to be alive and really care about them um, and their growth. And that's what parents have. I mean, they love their kids. Um, so give them a gift of nature. Hmm. That's <laughs> so <safe>. true. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> um, so... The last question I have for you is a question that I ask all of my guests, um, and it goes like this. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself and why? Oh, wow. Um... That's an interesting one. Um, you know, what comes to mind right away is, is I love you. You can do anything that you put your heart and mind to and follow your dreams. Um, that comes to mind, and I feel like I, I got that um, from some of my giants I'm standing on, you know, my parents and different teachers along the way, uh, that really uh, gave me the love that I really felt I could do anything I, I wanted. I, I didn't um, feel in sort of limited 
thinking, and I um, I feel really grateful for that, as I know that's not what everybody has experienced in their childhood, um, and that freedom to play outside. That's great. That's great. Um, so, Angela, if uh, if people want to learn more about you, your work, and uh, Earthwalk, how can they go about doing that? We we have a website, and it's earthwalkvermont.org, all spelled out. And uh, I think that's the best place. And um, and I have this. It's it's just super brief, but it's a little two minute nature note every Friday on WGDR. Um, between 12.25 and 12.35. It's kind of wedged in the news, um, but it's kind of a sweet, hopeful little uh, word about nature um, that's been really fun to learn, to record, and just kind of delve deeper into the natural world and the mysteries. That's great. That's great. I'm sure that's probably a good spot to be as well because that's when people are most tuned in is uh, between the news. Um, So thank you again, Angela, for taking this time to share with me and my audience. And uh, thank you so much for the wisdom that you shared. Um, I cannot understate the the importance of the work that you are doing. And uh, you have reminded me of some simple, practical and wonderful ways to reconnect with nature. Um, And like you rightly said, there's so much negative energy in all aspects of our lives and society currently. and some have tried to shout over the voices of the people that they disagree with, and others have completely just disengaged. But I think you've also shown me now that there's another avenue which I hadn't explored, which is connecting with nature, walking amongst the trees, listening to the birds, observing the wildlife in action. And I can see how it certainly would have a calming effect on all of us. I have come away uh, from this interview convinced more than ever that nature does indeed have a way of awakening the entire human mind and body and achieving, you know, our highest level of uh, inner peace and happiness. So I hope that you continue to inspire and develop happier, healthier, more brilliant minds on numerous levels. And you have also given me hope. And someone once said to me that an ounce of hope is better than a ton of despair. So... Wow. Well, well said, Tino. Thank you so much for your kind words. And uh, yeah, may we all inspire and uh, head outside. <laughs> it's very healing. Absolutely. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast on the shoulders of giants. I welcome to the show Stephanie Hobold, a mentor and community and relationship builder focused on strengthening local communities and youths. So I moved in with a friend of mine, her name's Maria, and to the old North End because the idea was if I'm if we're going if I'm going to be involved with the community, I want to I want whatever the issues of the community are to be mine as well. And if I live on the hill section of Burlington, I don't have the same issues that somebody in the old North End does. You know, I, I get to experience the school issues. I get to experience um, heavier police traffic. I get to experience heavier drug traffic. Um, and also just the camaraderie of being in a community that values neighborliness. So in the Old North End, you have literally the world. And most other cultures outside of American cultures are much more hospitable. And so I get to be a part of this sort of tapestry thing. Um, and so, so, I, so I figured if we're going to do this, I want to move in. And so the question that Maria and I decided to move in with was, what if we moved into this neighborhood and what would happen if we were good neighbors? 